Good morning. It's good to see everyone. It's good to be back today. It's good to be back in 1 Peter. If you will turn there, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is an important book of the Bible. This is a book of the Bible that tells us about times in which we live, actually. It's got a lot of, a lot of good, practical, godly truth of how you and I as exiles should live in this world, in a world that is a place where we are feeling as believers, like strangers in our own country. The answer, according to Peter, is going to be don't huddle and hide out in the midst of persecution and suffering that might come our way, but we are to be those who live our lives in front of the world. We are those who are to let people see how powerful the gospel is. That is what we're called to do. We are to live our lives in such a way that people would see in us the powerful transformation that takes place because of the gospel. We always want to be putting that on display. We want to convince unbelievers of its power. We want to live what we preach. We want to let our behavior, as he says in verse 11, we want our behavior to be excellent, verse 12, excuse me, among the Gentiles. We want, verse 11, to deal with those sinful internal cravings and we want to abstain from them, verse 11 says, so that our outward behavior, verse 12, would be evident to those who see us and those who watch us. Because they are watching. You claim to know Christ and you claim to be a Christian, they are watching. Sometimes they just want to watch you mess up so they can have further reason not to believe. But they want you they are watching. Does this make any difference in our lives? Is it just something we gather on Sunday morning and talk about? Or is it something that's real and transforming and life-changing? That's what we want to do to a watching world. Let our behavior be excellent among them, that when God visits them for salvation, they'll remember our manner of life and be drawn to our Savior. He's talks about the good deeds in verse 12. Because of your good deeds, they observe them. And what he does in verses 13 and following is he starts to give some good deeds that we as Christians are to do. Good deeds that have to do with submitting to government and submitting to your employer and submitting submission in the home. And there's some other things in the midst of that, but he gives us some ways that we can manifest good deeds to a watching world. You know, if I was to come up with a list, or if you were to come up with a list of things that we could do to have an influence in the world, I know for a fact that we would come up with a list that is a lot softer, a lot easier than what Peter says here. If I was to come up with my own list of, okay, how are we going to make an impact in the world around us, I would come up with things like, well, let's put a billboard on Monroe Street. Trust Jesus. Or let's have a seeker-sensitive service. Or let's have a concert and invite everybody to come and sing Christian songs. Or let's have a church-wide egg hunt or something. 
Not that any of those things are bad, but my friends, those things are superficial in impact compared to what Peter says here to us in 1 Peter chapter 2. You would not come up with this list because, quite frankly, your flesh does not like the list I'm going to show you today. It goes against you. At least parts of it do. It's a hard list. Because he touches us where we don't want to be touched. Our very heart, our very pride, our will. He touches us where it's hurts us and inconveniences, inconveniences us, where it causes us to die more and more to ourselves, something none of us likes to do. These are hard things, Peter says, but this is how you have an impact, Peter says. This is how you have an impact. These are the good deeds that you do to a watching world to impact that world. Because we're called to be instruments. We're called to be instruments in his hands to bring the message of redemption to those whom he will call to salvation. We need to defend the credibility of the gospel by the way we live and how we respond to life and the challenges of life. We need, Peter says, to live in such a way it's different from what is wrong with the world. Verse 12 again, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. You want to convince unbelievers of this transforming power. Verse 15 of chapter 2, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. The whole idea that so much of this is evangelism. So much of this is our message to the world and the credibility of that message because we actually live what we say. Not perfectly, but that is the trajectory of our life to live what we say. You want to be an example to unbelievers. And we started this a few weeks ago, and we talked about the first one found in verse 13, submission to governing authorities. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. I told you this is a determined choice. This is you lining up under authorities that God has put in place. Governing authorities. All authority comes from God, we pointed out last time. All authority, all kings, all governments are from God. He has established those. He puts up one and puts down another. He is sovereignly in control of that. And government is a good thing. It's a grace that God has given us. Otherwise, we would kill each other. It keeps the lid on turmoil. It keeps the lid on our depravity. None of it's perfect. Writing to a time when Nero is in charge of things in Rome. I'm sure everybody in the congregation got this letter and went, oh, you're kidding. Are you kidding me? Peter, let's read this thing over. He left out a word or something. No, he says, line yourself up. As opposed to be defiant towards them, line yourself up 
under them. Be in submission to them. Don't rebel against them. You've heard it in our country as we become more and more a divided nation. You've heard people say it. Not my president. Not my president. According to who's in office, but you've heard that. And just because this world is not our home and we're pilgrims passing through, it does not mean we don't have an obligation to leaders and to laws of the world. We have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of this world, this country, whatever country you're from, and we are citizens of king, of, excuse me, of heaven as well. Peter doesn't mention it here, and we said last time, uh, it's understood. It's understood that government has authority. Government has been given authority, delegated authority by God. Government has a certain lane in which it exercises that authority. And when government says to do something that puts me against the will of God, I don't obey the government. Quite simple. Hebrew midwives, Daniel, don't you dare pray. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bowed down to idols. Peter, don't preach the gospel. No, we follow God. That is when government gets out of its lane and comes over into the authority that's been given to the church or to us as the people of God. And we say no. Respectfully, no. Same with your home. There's certain authority a father, a husband has in the home. The church doesn't go over there and tell the father how to run its home. He might try to influence him, but he doesn't really tell him how to do it. The government should not be able to do that, except sometimes the government does need to get out of its lane a little bit and come into a home where there's child abuse or something like that. So there are times when it would mix a little bit, but we don't want the government coming in here saying, you guys have to preach shorter sermons. That would be a blasphemy. But that you get the point. We say everybody's in their lane. When somebody gets out of their lane, that's tyranny. It's tyranny. And so we talked about this quite a bit last time. I'm not going to go back through all of that. It was Mother's Day, I believe. Uh, We talked about that if you want to listen to that online. But the point is we do this for the Lord's sake. You see that? For the Lord's sake. I don't do it because I feel like it or because the guy's worthy of it or they're worthy of that kind of... Uh, submission on my part or anything like that. I do it for the Lord's sake, recognizing it is the Lord who has sovereignly ordained every leader and by submitting to them, I am to do that. In fact, leaders in Romans 13 are called ministers of God. And I'm going to make a confession here. I got a ticket a speeding ticket, driving through Alabama recently. <laughs> and I had to remind myself while a guy's riding the ticket, this is a minister of God. This is a minister of God. You know what I'm saying? I thought about you know, going to court with it, but Ann said she would testify against me. <laughs> so I didn't go. Point is... That's what they're called, ministers of God. He has put them in those places of authority to exercise authority. His authority to keep the lid on things. We don't want anarchy. Secondly, we follow the example of the Lord. He said, 
Render to Caesar what is Caesar. Caesar's got a realm, and you pay your taxes. Render to God the things that are God's. I told you when Peter went to cut off the guard's ear when he came to arrest Jesus, what did he say? He said, Peter, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't need you to defend me. I could call down legions of angels if I needed them. If this, if this was about my kingdom here, then I would, I would fight, but this is not. My kingdom doesn't need this. And so, my kingdom is not of this realm. He says in verse 16 something interesting. He says, as a free, as, as, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering Excuse me, let me back up. I left off one point. Another reason for the Lord's sake is we, we don't want to just communicate that it's just about political reform and social reform. We, we want to communicate that it's because God has in charge. This is all tied into the fear of God, by the way, as he's talked about in chapter 1, verse 17. Because we fear God, we don't fear the government. We don't fear the king. We submit. Because we fear God, we submit. For the Lord's sake, because we fear God, we worship God. We have reverence toward God, and because of that, we don't fear the government, but rather we submit to the government. And it's it's not that we believe that the answer to all the problems in the world are laws and more laws and social reform and things like that. It's spiritual transformation is what's at stake here, and that's what we would say to an unbelieving world. We submit to the government because we believe God has put them there. The world doesn't do that. When they don't like the guy in office, what do they do? They complain against him, or they rail against him, or they curse him, or they malign him. That is not to be named among us. We cannot go on sounding like conservative talk radio because that dishonors God. It's not the Lord's sake. Our priority is the gospel. I told him I was talked on Roe versus Wade this morning in Sunday school, and our priority is the gospel. We know that's the only thing that changes. The Great Commission is not going to all the world and make laws. It's to preach the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that is the message we want to proclaim for the Lord's sake. We want the gospel to be what matters, not all of our things that we are against. Because we recognize, though it's fine to lobby for laws and, and, and see laws changed and be involved in all of that, the mechanics of all of that, there's nothing wrong with that. That makes human life better and flourish. But ultimately, we know it's the gospel that changes hearts. Verse 16 says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. In this context, I believe that is speaking directly to the fact that do not use your freedom in Christ to be rebellious toward the government. Don't be insubordinate is the point. Usually that verse means in other contexts is like 
Just uh, don't use your freedom to get away with sin. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to sin. I think same idea here, only in this context. It has to do with being under the authority of government. It's basically saying, don't let your freedom in Christ let you get away with thinking that you don't have, that you can be insubordinate toward the government. You see this in the Crusades. In the Crusades, it was interesting. The Christians in Europe were very bothered by the fact that the Muslims had taken over the Holy Land. And so what did they do? They rose up under the banner of the Israel, the new Israel, and said, we're going to go and take the Holy Land back. And so it wasn't just one trip over there, several, but the point is they would go there and they would wipe out the Muslims singing imprecatory psalms as they went. You know what those are? Those are psalms that have to do with the judgment of God. In the name of Christ, in the name of God, they destroyed people's lives. They forced it because they believed the Holy Land belongs to Christ and His church. All in the name of God, they did that. And they... (laughs) And I've read even worse, on the way there, they forced conversion of many Jews by baptizing them and thinking because they did that, now they've Christianized them. That's just extreme, of course, but that's your point. That's the point. This is not about rebelling against governments. Speaking against them, yes. Using lawful protest, yes. Do all of those things that your society allows. Take advantage of those things. Vote. Do all of those things. But like, like those, those people on a smaller scale, those people that tried to take over the Capitol, what was that, two years ago? That's wrong. It's wrong. I don't know what the end goal was of that. Disruption, I don't know. The point is, do not let that be named among us. Proverbs 24 says this, My son, fear the Lord and the King. Fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those who are given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. So we don't want to get caught up in insurrections. We are bond slaves of God, verse 16 says. So, that's the first one. That's the first good deed. Submit to government. Line yourself up under government. When government tells you to do something that stands between you and the will of God, you don't do it. You go with God first, always. We do that. We believe that. Then he listens, lists some more good deeds. You start in verse 17. It's almost like a lyric here. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Just repetitious. Four more good deeds that we are to do in front of a watching world. This is going to be hard. It's hard to preach this. Honor all people. What? Honor all people? All people are not honorable. 
All people are not respectable. That's the meaning of the word. All people are not respectable. And I'm to respect all people. All people. The very people that may make up lies about me and, and you, excuse me, and you and suffer and try to silence you and spread rumors about you and want you to suffer and want you to be quiet and want you just not to, to, to bring up anything about God or Jesus. This is how we treat all mankind. This is his statement here. We are to honor all people. If we're trying to figure out how to be influential, we might say, well, we don't do this one. Let's do something different here. Let's do something a little softer and easier. This one's tough because everybody's not honorable. The underlying trait, I'm going to say it again, the underlying trait in all of these four is fear God. My foot is anchored in fearing God, and therefore, because I fear God, I don't fear man. I fear God, but I fear, get this, I fear what God will do to man. You follow me? Because I fear God and recognize his power and authority, I fear what God will do to man. I don't fear my fellow man. I'm not. Sometimes I do. Most of the time we do, don't we? We're afraid of people. We fear people more than we fear God. That's why we don't share the gospel with them. We want people to like us. But we're not to fear them. We're to honor them. We're to respect them. Respect all mankind. Honor has the sense of putting a price on a commodity. When it's used in this this context, it says, show respect to all men. It's a comprehensive command. Uh, We are to show respect to all people, all people. This is how I'm to think about them. The emperor was not honorable, but I'm to respect him. Here's where this is going, folks. The temptation is to slander people. The temptation is to, in a hostile world, is to, is to nurture an attitude of anger toward people and contempt toward people. That's your temptation. That's my temptation. You are not respectable. Therefore, I don't have to respect you. I can be bitter towards you. I can even hate you if I want to. And for some of us, it it drifts into that very quickly. And we can tell it because of the sound of our words. And what he's he's saying here, and I, I believe you have to look at it and think about it this way. Peter is reminding us here that we respect each other as equals in in the terms that we are all human. We are all humanity. We are all made in the image of God. And we're to show honor as equal human beings. I don't have a personal hatred for other human beings. I may not like what they do, but I have no right biblically to personally hate another human being. I fear God. If I fear God, I cannot hate another human being. If I fear God, then I recognize that that human being is just like me. He he is my peer. He is my peer in the sense that he is guilty, vile, and helpless like me. 
I recognize he's a peer in corruption. I too am corrupt. I too have a corrupt nature. I too have a nature that turns away from God. I too have that. As before my former, former manner of life, I remember that. Even now as a Christian, I know the struggle I have with my nature. That person is a peer to me in that corruption. I must respect that. It does not mean I don't call out sin, folks. I'm not saying that. It just simply means that I have to back up and say that is a person made in the image of God. And they too are in Adam as I once was before I came in Christ. And they too do not have the capacity to obey God and, and have their, they need their eyes opened just like I did. I don't see Peter would never say he was any less corrupt than the emperor. Peter himself, any less corrupt than the emperor. We're all corrupt. Understand that. You've got to come back to that. You've got to remember that about yourself before you make judgments about other people. You are no man's judge. I am no man's judge. I can make judgments, yes. I can make judgments because I pick up this book and I say, this book says what you are doing is sinful. I speak from this book when I say that. But I am not your judge. As long as you are living and breathing, I cannot give you over to hell. As long as that person is a living, breathing human being, still alive, they're savable. And I must respect that and how I treat them. I must recognize that, but for the grace of God, I go just the way they go. Their behavior does not surprise me when I think of my own nature and that I am just as guilty and I could do the very things they're doing. I was in darkness, separated from God. I fight cravings. I fight the cravings they're caving into. I still fight them. See, we don't want to get self-righteous to where we don't respect other people. Yes, we call out sin. Yes, we speak God's truth to people. Yes, we warn people. But that's only half our message. We must talk about the grace of God. We must talk about the forgiveness available through faith in Christ. We must talk about a gospel that saves and redeems and cleanses and washes you clean. We speak the truth in love. You see, it's so easy to cross over from a conviction of truth to violate what Peter's saying here. This is so easy. I do this way too much. Speak the truth, and then just, they just, you just watch, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon, it's no more about the truth and the issue. It's more about them. And you start speaking out of anger. And you start sounding bitter. And you, you start railing people. You don't have a, your passions are not checked. And you sound like you don't forgive anybody or willing to forgive anybody. They're not dead yet. They're not dead yet. Until they are, they're the mission field. That's the point. Until they're dead, they're the mission field. And we've got to love the mission field. We've got to respect the mission field because they're made in the image of God and we fear God. And because we fear God, we fear what God will do to them if they don't repent.
You know what Jesus said? Why do you fear man who can harm the body? You need to fear God who can throw both the body and soul into hell. We, we say, Lord, save them. Lord, save those people in the streets screaming for abortion. Lord, save those people screaming for this right or that right. Save them. Only you can open their eyes, God. Only you can do that. But I can't go into a Romans 1 judgment. That's God. I can't go into a Romans 1 judgment that says, I give you over. That's God's job, not mine. Vengeance is his. I can't take God's job. Turn to James 3. James chapter 3, verse 8. This is about the tongue. Going, oh, great. The tongue. No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. You hear that says, no one can tame it. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, notice, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Do you have a tongue issue? (laughs) Do you have a tongue issue? I do. (laughs) Tongue is just a reflection of the heart. I always know what you're thinking because you talk about it. What you talk about the most is what you think is what is in your heart. Listen to this. Great book here, by the way. Evangelism as Exiles by Elliot Clark, page 74. Let me read this to you. We can succumb to the rancor of the 24-7 news cycle. Perhaps most important of all, we can't dishonor, excuse me, perhaps most important of all, we can't dishonor our opponents by dehumanizing them. He's talking about having an open door for evangelism in this context here. We can't be those who sling mud at political rivals and throw shade on their followers. In my observation, our social dialogue naturally slides towards such dehumanization, especially in a technological age that's disconnected from personal relationship and the natural decorum that often flows from it. Social media are the prime examples of disconnection, functioning like the digital version of a bumper stick Christianity, bumper sticker Christianity. On these media, we parade our views on any number of issues with casual indignity. After all, we won't ever see half the people who need our tweets, who, excuse me, who read our tweets. But we also won't know half the, the, excuse me, I can't get the words out this morning. But we also won't know half the disrepute we bring to Jesus' name. It's like a shiny chrome fish symbol stuck on a lift gate that has been crowded out by tacky, passive-aggressive decals. Our gospel is obscured. I, I guarantee you a lot of dishonoring of Christ goes on in social media and sadly among Christians. So easy to say something. It's so easy just to throw something out there. It's one thing if I want to help somebody. It's one thing if I want to call out sin, folks. I'm not saying compromise on that one bit. But we need to be ready to preach the gospel. We need to show respect and love for the mission field. Or we will never reach the mission field. Hey, you are going to want to reach people that you do not like, that you view as your enemy. 
We won't evangelize. We won't care what they think of us. We will just huddle away from them and hide from them. And this is book that I like. This book is so powerful. Evangelism is exiles. We're exiles in our own land. And how do we reach them with the gospel? It's just powerful statements like this, things that go against the grain of my own nature. We preach judgment and warning, and we preach repentance and forgiveness and saving faith. We don't need to, when the world starts reeling at us, we don't need to rail back at them. We need to, Proverbs 17, 14, I read it this morning, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Stay away from that railing. Don't get down to that level. What's the mission field? Got time for another one. Love the brotherhood. Notice first, are you still in First Peter? No, you're in James, aren't you? Go to First Peter 2, 17. Love the brotherhood. I say a lot about this one. I've said a lot about this one in talking about the church and talking about a great evangelism tool we have as a church is our love for one another. That stands out to the world. They want this love. They don't know how to get this love. They don't understand how you can get people from different backgrounds and be thrown into a room together and there's love. How there's a concern for each other and we're called to love the brotherhood. That's what should mark us as a church. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, that you belong to me. And we have a lot of struggles in the body of Christ, no doubt about it, but God has thrown us together to demonstrate the character of Christ toward each other. That's the reason he's put you in the body of Christ. He has put you in the body of Christ to demonstrate his character towards one another. That's why it's dangerous for people to say, I don't like to go to a church. I don't like to be part of a local church. That's a dangerous, unbiblical stand to have. The church is where you live out the truths of the gospel. The church is where you live out love toward one another. You don't live that out in your own house or on a boat on the lake. You live that out rubbing up against people that God has thrown together you together with to love, to demonstrate the character of God. Peter never really uses the word church much in this. I don't think he uses it at all. He just calls us the brotherhood. The brotherhood. We're to love like Christ loved. We don't need race theory and intersectionality and all of those terms. That's not a framework that we operate with by. That's what the world is trying to figure out. You know what our framework is? Love one another. That's our framework. I don't need to know more than that. I could spend the rest of my life trying to obey that. I am to love especially those of the household of God. I don't care what their background is, the color of their skin, where they're from, what their economic status is, it does not matter. We are thrown together to love one another. To manifest the character of Christ towards each other. So it's very dangerous to say you don't like the local church. 
That is a dangerous, unbiblical stand to have. I don't care. Doesn't, I mean, it's not about you. We aren't sitting here waiting for you to get here so we can figure out how to minister to you. You don't come here for that. You come here to minister to others. I tell you this often. Come to this church on Sunday mornings wanting to praise God and worship Him and thinking with somebody on your mind who you can minister to. Get your eyes off yourself. You've had all week to think about you. Come here and think about somebody else. And it's, it's, I hear that. I hear that and you hear that. It just, I just, it just isn't for me. I just don't get anything out of that. I'm trying to find a church that fits me. I'm, all of those kinds of things. Don't try to find a church that fits you. Find a church that worships God, exalts Christ and His Word. That's what you need. And then you need to get in that church and you need to love the people that God has put in that church with you. See, we live in a culture that's very me-centered and that just creeps into the church and it's done it in so many different ways. And we've talked about this often and so I don't need to go into all of that this morning. But listen, our purpose here is to help each other to grow in Christ's likeness, to mature in our faith. We want to help each other deal with sin in our lives because we're all strugglers in this life. We want to do that for one another. We're not perfect We all have battles, we all have needs and things like that, but we don't come here thinking it's all about me. We think, how can I help somebody else? How can I serve and minister to somebody else? You know, during the pandemic, that was our biggest concern. You know, we wanted to preserve the unity of the church because we knew you had different opinions about things. You were being bombarded with all kinds of things in the world and media and all of that about how this and that should happen. Our biggest, you know, our biggest concern was preserving the unity of the body. Romans 14 came into play. Consider one another more important than yourself. Look out for someone else's needs and what they're thinking and and, and their conscience and how their conscience is directing them and respect that. And even if you didn't agree with it, the point is it's it's them and your love for them that mattered more than them buying into your approach to how things should be handled. I would say to you, you excelled well in that. Our church came through that. I praise God for that. But that is always on the mind of a pastor and elders in a church is preserving the unity of the body. We don't make that unity. Christ makes that unity. He's the one that established that, brought us together, made us one. Our job is to preserve it by not being ungodly toward each other, holding grudges against each other, being bitter towards each other. No, we're to serve and minister and consider one another more important than ourselves. So we want to love the brotherhood. You want to, you want to, you want to reach the culture around us, then this is what we need to practice. Got a grudge against another Christian? Resolve the conflict, my friends. Don't carry it around. That's sinful. That's sinful on your part. It's sinful for you to let a wall draw between you and another believer. That's sinful. 
If you love the truth and you're willing to love God's people, that's all there is to it. My, my rights, my rights and my wants stop where you start. At that point, I say, I give preference. That's humility. That's humility. I'm not talking about something that's black and white in the Bible, it's sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just preferences. I think the world sees too many times the church just divides over all their preferences. Very rarely do you hear a church divide over a theological reason. That would be a right reason, a, a, a first-level theological issue. To divide over that, yes, I get that. But to divide over just preferences? Too many times the world sees us clickish. I mean, I, I, I've, people have said that about us in the past. I don't think people say that much anymore. I think we're a very loving church and... I mean, I come always encouraging you, after the service ends, don't huddle in your normal group. Go talk to somebody you haven't met before. Go meet Officer McGahey. <laughs> Tell him thank you for being here this morning with us. So those are things the world sees, and they see us as easily provoked. You guys get mad about everything. You're always mad about something. Peter says you want to be influential, love the body. Love the body. See, you got your ways of how you would reach the world. But he doesn't says, he says, hey, you respect and honor all men, unbelievers, even your enemies out there, people that don't like you. And you love the church. You love those Christians that you go to church with, and you show that, and you demonstrate that, and you serve there, and you go to church on Sundays, and you find people that you can minister to and pray for and come alongside. That's what he says to do. Peter says, do these things. The fourth thing that he lists in this section is fear God. I've touched on that. This is one thing that will shock the world. Is like the world throws all this stuff at us, but we don't fear them. We don't fear them because we fear God. See, if you're afraid of people, if you're afraid of people, then you're going to be a man pleaser. You understand that? You're going to be a man pleaser. You're going to be a people pleaser if you fear man because you fear that they won't like you or you fear what they might do to you or you fear that they won't admire you or it's because you're looking for something to get from them that you're afraid you won't get. That's a good sign you are fearing man and not God. Proverbs calls that a real stumbling block for you a snare for you to fear man. In these days in which we live, folks, if we're going to be bold, we're going to have to be fearing God and not man. One thing we can shock the world with is, I'm going to do what God says, not what you want. The best thing you can tell your children is, I fear God, and for that reason, I'm not going to give you everything you want. I fear God. I fear God and I fear what God will do to you if I don't fear God. Because I need to preach the gospel to you and I need to point you to Jesus and those are not easy truths and those are things you're gonna reject me for but I'm still going to do it because I know it's right and it's the power of God unto salvation and I will love you and I will, I will respect you 
but I fear God too much to be silent. You just got to get out of this idea that suffering is not God's will for us. You just got to get that out of your mind. Suffering unjustly is not outside his purposes for you or me. God is the ultimate authority and he may allow you to suffer and he may allow you to suffer unjustly. I think that was in the song we just sang or someplace we said this morning. Was that in the song we just sang? Thank you, Jim. Yeah. I thought that was great. I thought that was a great statement. I fear God. He's the ultimate authority. And these other authorities, they can do things to me, but the ultimate authority, that's the one I fear. That's the one I want to please. And he may choose for me to suffer unjustly. And notice in 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He suffered unjustly. And he is our model. And we must not think that it's outside God's purpose for us that we might not suffer unjustly. And he's going to relate this, you can relate this to earthly rulers as well. It doesn't say fear the king, fear God. Fear God so you can submit to the king. Fear God so you can honor the king. And he may treat you unjustly, but you fear God first and honor the king until that king tells you to do something that stands between you and the will of God. See, that's always going to be our backdrop, fearing God. That's our backdrop in evangelism as exiles, fearing God. We're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, the one we fear and worship and revere. That's our... It says, honor the king. Honor the king. <laughs> when a, in our country, when a, we pray like crazy for the next guy that's going to get elected, and we pray that the right guy will be elected so that we can have good laws and good rules. And then when the election's over, we pray like crazy for the guy that got in there. <laughs> We're always praying and asking God to work through whoever's in there. We're praying for his, that he won't weaken our country and do all those things and that our country will get stronger and the gospel can go forth unhindered. That we are always praying for our leaders. We always recognize in Psalm 75 that God exalts and puts down. He's the one that establishes kings. He put Pharaoh in office. Pharaoh, I put you there. I put you there so I can show my power through you and what I'm going to do to you. But I must be careful to fear God. And I, I don't think it's helpful, folks, for us to speak against our leaders. It's not. I told you last week, I'm guilty of maligning Joe Biden. <laughs> it's easy for, to do it with him. It really is. I don't think that we... I don't think we're, I think we're outside these, these verses by doing that. It's okay to say, hey, I don't like this policy. I don't like most of what the policies are coming out of Washington these days. I don't like those things, but you know what? God put him there. And I fear God. I fear God. And if I'm going to fear God, that means I'm going to honor the king. And maybe that'll just shock unbelievers around me who know I don't, don't care for some of those policies, but I honor the king because I don't talk the way they talk about politicians and leaders. 
Our society, our hope is not in who's in the White House or who's in the Supreme Court or any of those things. Our hope is in our God who we fear. I hope this sermon has rubbed you in the wrong way because it should. I do, it should. It should rub all of us in the wrong way. It should go against the grain of all of us. It should go against the grain of all of us. Honor the King. Let me read to you page 61 of this book. I can't remember why I marked this, so this could be interesting. No. Christians in America are increasingly isolated and degenerated. Yes, our cultural and social capital is vanishing before our eyes. Yes, in the span of one short week, the Supreme Court could easily rewrite our futures and remove many freedoms. Yes, public school curricula are being weaponized to indoctrinate children in secular dogma and a new sexual ethic. It doesn't even take much imagination to envision how well-intentioned laws against discrimination, hate speech, or terrorism could one day be used to justify the imprisonment of Christians. And it doesn't end there. On a personal level, we have plenty more room for fear. By standing up for Christ, we run the risk of forfeiting promotions or positions, of missing out on tenure or a contract. We might even lose our families, but this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. We have much to lose. Yet none of that, none of that justifies Christians being terrified. We must not, according to Peter, tremble in fear at the thought of surrendering a job or business at a failed school board initiative or a particular Supreme Court decision. Because if we do, if we do, we are preaching the completely wrong gospel to the world. We're telling them our greatest fear is the loss of money and power and influence, the loss of our beloved comfort. But as long as that is the case, we show that our fear and our gospel is no different than theirs. <laughs> wow. So, We're called to show the world how powerful the gospel is. May that be our commitment and desire to put that on display. Verse 15, for such is the will of God, by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And that's right. You don't have to shout about their ignorance, just let your life show the credibility of your testimony. God, thank you for this time today. Thank you for this time that we've been able to gather in this place and worship. Hard truths, Lord. Hard truths. Hard truths for me to preach and listen to myself. Thinking about these things has convicted me in so many ways. Help me not to malign our leaders. Slander them. Wish evil upon them but rather to honor all men, to see them as in need of a savior, to see them as the mission field, to pray for them, to pray that their eyes will be open to salvation, just like you had opened my eyes to save me and everyone in this room who names the name of Christ. We just praise you and love you, Father, for this time this morning. I love this church, I love these people. I'm so thankful for letting us be together with all our problems, with all our intrasyncasies that we have, God. All those things, God, you've, you've brought us together. Help us love one another. Help us, God, to have submissive hearts.
to the authorities you've placed in our lives. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.